Last Sunday, uh, if you were here, we began a new series titled Gospel Clarity Amidst Cultural Confusion, and it's centered around the book of 1 Corinthians. And so the, the big idea with this series, where we're going, is that we are living amidst a culture that is incredibly confused and messed up, if you will, and the church is in great danger being formed by this deception, and so we are in great need right now as the church of being equipped with biblical truth to bring clarity in our lives, helping us to follow the way of Jesus and seeking renewal in our lives and in the culture around us, and we so much want to be following the Lord in that. And so when we, when we speak about renewal, what we're talking about is an increase of God's presence in us, around us, and in the culture around us. God's plan has always been and will always be on the increase of his presence in this world. That's where it's going, to the full presence of Jesus, and it's right now that's where he's going. And so last Sunday, I talked about some of the threads that show us how similar first century Corinth is to 21st century post-Christian, secular Western culture. That's, that's where we find ourselves right now. And then we talked about what, what are some of the high values for the church today amidst this reality? What are some of the things that Paul puts forth right at the beginning of Corinthians as high values? And that is fellowship, the high value of fellowship, the high value of transformational growth, and the high value of the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. We are in days right now that are different from any other days than we have ever been in. They, they are not like anything else because of various things. But the dangers are more varied. They're more deceptive. And, and one of the reasons that we are experiencing sh- such a shift in culture right now like any other is due to the digital age of technology. It is changing things at a rapid pace. One of, one of the byproducts of this explosion of technology is a culture that is obsessed with personal autonomy that is marked by this embracing of hyper-individualism. We, we are so obsessed with ourselves. And the effects are being felt in every corner of our culture, education, in our homes, in our personal relationships, and even in the church. We're facing this. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 1 at the very beginning of this letter, is that the church in Corinth was dealing with similar issues that Paul was pretty concerned about. And so I've called this morning unity in an age of individualism. And I think that's what Paul was also getting at. As we saw last week, following Jesus calls us to embrace the high value of fellowship in the local church. Seeing that our, that our commitment to one another actually is about being formed into the image of Jesus. And, and this was a massive problem for the Corinthians, just as it is a problem for us in the Western church. And so I, I want to actually, I'm going to spend some time next week looking at the reality of what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. But one of the markers that we're experiencing that is right at the forefront is marked by radical even militant individualism. Everywhere we turn, everywhere 
U-turn, we are immersed in a highly individualistic culture. The characteristics of, of this belief would be something like this. Live in the moment. Don't be restricted by binding commitments. Do whatever you ultimately want to do. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Whatever makes you feel happy is right and good. Pursue that with everything you have. One of the implications of this is that one has to then look to externals, things outside of themselves for meaning. They look to others. They look for into material possessions. They look to experiences. They look to ideologies. They look to political movements. Within this system is a core belief in this secular pursuit of utopia. What I mean by that is this. This pursuing this world of perfection. As long as everyone gets on board with us, gets on board with our beliefs, and what culture says is right, if we do that, we are going to a place that's going to be so much better. And so we see this in politics. We see this in technology. We see this in, in the environment, in the environmental causes. We see this in the, the health industry craze. We want the benefits of the kingdom of God People actually want that. We want peace. We want justice. We want equality. But we want the kingdom of God without the king. And this is a danger that is lurking in every one of our souls. It's vying for the affections of our children. It's vying for the affections of our youth. The desire of our flesh to live for self and to embrace the values and the pursuit of this culture that will end up destroying us, will end up leaving us empty, will end up leaving us confused. But the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel, brings clarity into our minds, bring cl brings clarity into our hearts. It awakens us to the purposes of God. It awakens us to truth of what is coming for those who commit to follow the way of Jesus. There is a way of Jesus to follow, and what is coming is so glorious for those who do that. And what Paul gets into right in the, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1 is the horrible, just the horrible, awful effects that were happening in the church due to individualism and how to combat it in our hearts, to guard the unity that we're called to within the church. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at some verses in 1 Corinthians 1, along with some verses in 1 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul, he addresses what's happening that raise at least three questions to help us understand what does it mean to live for God's kingdom and what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. They'll be on the screen behind me, the words, if you don't have a Bible with you. I invite you to follow along. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gatius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. 
I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Paul's being really honest. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Then he comes back in 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll have these verses up as well. He says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So the first question that I want to ask this morning out of this is, who do you follow? That might seem like a strange question to pose in church. Like, why would you even ask that? But what's happening, what was happening in Corinth isn't all that different from what's happening today. What seemed to be happening among the Corinthians was this emergence of personality cults, if you will. Serious divisions in the church as a result of groups that were aligning themselves with particular leaders. I mean, we know from other places in 1 Corinthians that Paul, he, he was writing them actually in response to a letter that they had sent to him. So he's, he's writing this in response to a whole bunch of things that the Corinthians had said to him. But somehow, these divisions in the church weren't mentioned in the letter at all. They never made the letter. Funny how that works, isn't it? But somehow it made its way to Paul. He says it made its way through this individual named Chloe. Her people reported to Paul, you know, this isn't going to be in the letter, but guess what? This is what's happening in the church, just so you know. And it suggests that there was deep internal divisions that had taken root. And the church didn't even want to go there. They didn't even want to talk about it. It's not that far-fetched to see what was happening. There's, there's actually no mention here of, the do- of doctrine causing strife. This wasn't about doctrinal issues. This wasn't about what you believe. It was, it was about personalities. It was, you know what? I, I like Larry better than Paul. I, I just do. Or, you know what? Carl, I just get along with Carlin better. I, I don't know what it is. I just, you know, I like to align myself with him. It was the following of personalities at the expense of others. There were those who were following Paul. So he was the father of the church in Corinth. He had planted it. He was probably held in really high esteem from what we know. His memory lived on. It was, it was the good old days of Paul. Remember, remember when he was there? and Remember when he came and he planted the church? Yeah, like, remember that? Now, now it's changed. Perhaps some thought, like, it's, we're never going to top what happened with Paul. Then there were those who were following Apollos. We know from Acts 18 that, that this guy, he came on the scene as an intellectual. He was trained in prestigious Alexandria, so he was educated. He was a bold teacher who spoke powerfully. He's, they said he spoke with fervent enthusiasm. He spoke eloquently. Paul, we know that Paul didn't regard himself as an eloquent speaker, actually. So, so Apollos was different. He, he was the new, the, the dynamic leader. Apollos, maybe younger than Paul. There were those who were following Peter or Cephas, probably, probably a Jewish part of the church in Corinth. 
Maybe they were, they were really focused on Jewish laws around food because Paul really gets into that later in the letter. It was a big issue. Maybe they were advocating a return to Jewish legalism in the church. And then there was the Christ party. That, that when Paul says that there are those who follow Christ, we know from the wording, the, this wasn't the good group. This, that was, that's not what it was. Paul writes to that group too because he reveals that there's something off about them as well. Maybe they saw the hero worship of the other leaders and they, they swung the pendulum in directly the other way. Who needs leaders? We, we have the hotline ourselves to God. We don't need leaders. This group is marked by an elitist attitude. All four of these groups, they were manifesting pride and all of them had taken their eyes off of Jesus. We see this rampant in Western culture, the cult of personality that takes over churches. Leaders that huge, hold, they hold huge control over others. And people just look to them. The polarization of views that's happening. This is the pursuit of individualism at the expense of unity. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you were here, or a couple months ago, sorry, about Joshua Harris, who is a well-known evangelical, evangelical community, popular leader. He uh, wrote a few books, and he, he announced on social media, wrote a big, long post about how he was leaving faith and embracing this kind of secular salvation, if you will, and it was seen as this, this good, great thing. And, and I found it interesting that some noted how this revealed the problem that we have in the church today, like the rest of society in this age of celebrity. And that is that we put leaders on pedestals that they never, ever should be on. There's something profoundly true about that. But the reason we do this, the reason that we are predisposed to that, to follow and exalt those who we agree with and who confirm with our biases, not only church leaders, is because that's, that's what this culture is about. That's what this culture embraces. And this is dangerous when it supersedes the Word of God because our culture has no grid for definitive truth anymore. And so, you think about podcasts, you think about social media, you think about the explosion of technology and everything is available right at your fingertips, right on a device. We can access all sorts of teaching, all sorts of opinions that will conform to our biases they will, and they are forming us. As we are taking these things in, they are forming us. And if we do that and they're not aligned to the Word of God, they're not aligned to truth, we are in serious trouble. It's not centered around truth. I, I was talking this week with someone about their coworker who has a 14-year-old daughter who is consumed by the need to save our planet. She is just consumed with environmental causes and this need. And yet she feels at 14 like she's powerless to do anything. She doesn't know what she can do at 14. And so this is driving her to be suicidal. She is suicidal because of this. That's not even all that uncommon anymore. The point is, we thirst for meaning and purpose. And apart from Christ, it leaves us empty and hopeless. We do not have meaning apart from Him. We have wealth. We have affluence. We have comfort. 
mentioned last week, all of us are in the top at least 10%, probably even in the top 1% or 2% of the wealth in the world. Every single person here. We have all of this stuff, comfort. But culture cannot answer the question of meaning. We're living in a society that is embracing this deconstructionism, this ongoing mission to tear down traditions, tear down values. Anything that is seen as restricting personal freedom, tear it down. It's about what me and what makes me feel good. That's what we're building. And yet, we need something to follow to provide meaning and purpose. And Paul here is saying to the Corinthians, there is only one. It is the way of Jesus. When, what, what we're seeing, I would say, in Western Christianity is sort of like a mashup, if you will, and I'm not talking about a song, but like this, people like Jesus, but they want radical individualism in their lives. They want both. And so they've got feats in both camps. And this cannot, cannot align to the way of Jesus it will not result in following the Jesus of Scripture. And Paul says to the Corinthians, get your focus off of individuals. It will always, always result in you taking your eyes off of Jesus. He's saying, remember how you were enriched in every way in Jesus. He had just written that to the Corinthians at the beginning of the letter. Remember, you were enriched in every way in Jesus. He is the one who has brought you from death to life. Look, don't look to others. Look to him and to the power of the cross. And that leads us to the second question. What are you building upon? As, as we saw there, we read there in those few verses in 1 Corinthians 3, he actually, Paul comes back to this whole issue. Why do you think he comes back to this issue again? In, like it, it was obviously, it was crucial. He saw it as crucial for the Corinthian church. And it goes even deeper. He goes even deeper into the root issues of what's at stake. Listen to what he, he says. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul's basic premise here is, it's not about us. It's not about Paul. 
It's not about Apollos. It's not about any other church leader. Ultimately, it's about the foundation of the church and our lives being built upon Jesus. And the question that is before all of us then is, what are we building upon? Scripture is clear here. We are responsible for how we choose to build. If, if we f- were to follow Jesus, we must set him as the foundation of our lives. Following Jesus' way, it supports and determines the rest of our lives. Paul says in verse 10 that he laid the foundation of Jesus Christ with the church in Corinth. What, what was that foundation? We, we know from looking at his letters what Paul was really focused on. He was focused on the reality of Jesus' burial, sorry, death and burial, the resurrection and the resurrection, because the resurrection changes everything. He was, he was committed to teaching submission to the way of Jesus. We live to build his kingdom. We invite others to follow. We don't live for the pleasures of this life and for the pursuit of self. We live with radically, radically different motivations because of Jesus. And so, what we did this morning when we dedicate our children, it's a proclamation that we're actually surrendering our families to the way of Jesus. It's, it's not a one-time act. It's actually a commitment to live for Jesus. We're living for Him and for the pursuit of His kingdom. Paul's speaking of the foundation that's meant to support the church and the lives of those who are a part of the community. And he says, there is a day the day, he says. There is a day coming at the end of our lives or sooner if Jesus returns where what we are building, he says, it's going to be revealed. In 1 Corinthians 3.10 there it says to take care how we are building upon the foundation of Jesus. So it won't, it won't be a matter of how successful, effective, or popular, or admired we are in culture or before others. None of that is going to matter ultimately but rather our faithfulness in seeking the kingdom of God. And so a wise question to ask, and one that serves as self-assessment, is this. Will the work that we have done be revealed as work that God has done by His Spirit? Or will it be what we have erected from our own resources and for our own benefit and for our own glory? Will it be the Spirit or will it be ourselves? It's, Dwayne was, was actually showing me the other day on his house that they're uh, renovating how they had pulled off some of the siding off of the house and they had, I think it was unexpected, right, that you had discovered some mold around some of the areas there on, underneath that they weren't expecting. And, you know, the house, a, a building can look rather impressive or even very adequate on the outside, but then when you get underneath, you start to find out what's really there. There is a day that will disclose what has actually been built. And we can live to build that which has no eternal value. 1 Corinthians 3.15 there says that building our lives on anything other than Jesus and his kingdom will result in loss. We will suffer loss if we built on anything other than Christ. And it's a painful picture of misguided lives. And so how we're building and what we're building in our lives are valuable questions to ask. But 
This is also written to the church. This was written for the church and to the church. And so their inclination to build on a foundation other than Jesus was deeply, deeply concerning to Paul. And this is one of the, one of the greatest threats to the church currently is this. How deeply have we been formed or how deeply are we being formed by the radical individualism and the anti-authoritarian views of the West. The danger to the church is deeply concerning. We, we live in what some are called the, the age of image management. This obsession to present an image of unlimited freedom and unlimited happiness. It's, it's everywhere. That, and it's all about presenting an image. The problem is, it's a projection. It's a marketing campaign, and it doesn't actually match reality. And it's making people all over, people feel like they can't measure up, people feel like failures because they can't attain to what culture says you have to attain to. They can never, ever measure up. And so the system is failing. And what we need to, what we need to receive ourselves as truth and what we need to give to others is, but we have the hope, the living hope of Jesus. You, don't, you feel like you don't measure up? Neither do I. But we don't have to measure up because it's not about that. It's about Christ. Building our lives upon Jesus and his kingdom is the sure hope for the church and our lives. Third and last question this morning. How are you growing? I've, I've got a number of, of perennials in our yard right now that... Uh, They've grown to such an extent. I've kind of been leaving them for the last few years because I just didn't want to deal with them. And now they've gotten to a size. And, and with moving, it's like, I need to do something with these perennials. Like, I really need to split them or something. I've got to deal with them. And there's a principle in gardening that's also true for our lives. When we're healthy, we're growing. When anything is healthy, it's growing. God has wired growth into the system of creation. When our relationship with Jesus is healthy, we will see and experience growth in our lives. And so when Paul comes back to this issue of individualism in, in Corinth and the strife that resulted, he uses a metaphor actually around agriculture. He says, he says my calling was to plant. Apollos, he was called to come and to water that which was planted but ultimately he's saying, it's God who gives the growth. I, I can't do any of that. It's God who has to do that. And implied in this metaphor, though, is that growth is normative when it comes to following the way of Jesus. We follow Jesus, we grow. And think about this. How could it be any other way given the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us? Look what Paul says in verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in us when we follow Jesus. God's plan is centered, has always been centered around presence in his people. 
God is always about his presence and the increase of presence. And God is incredibly protective and committed to the health and the wholeness of his church. Why does Paul feel the need to address these divisions in the church so quickly and then he circles back to this strife in chapter 3 here? Why, does, why is it such a focus for him? The church didn't even want to bring it up. They did not want Paul to know about any of this, and yet Paul, he puts a huge spotlight on it. Why is that? Because what's at stake when it comes to rejecting the inclination to individualism is the work of the Spirit amongst us. We hinder and we quench the Spirit by embracing the Spirit of individualism. We stop the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says that we are God's temple and that temple is holy. And it's interesting because another understanding of holiness in our lives is wholeness that God desires to bring in us. Holiness is about wholeness in us. The, the normative practice of secular culture in our midst is to compartmentalize everything. You compartmentalize here, you compartmentalize there, and you, we do it all over all areas of our lives. But Scripture tells us everything is connected. You cannot think that what you're doing over here is disconnected from here. It doesn't work. Everything is interconnected in your life. So thoughts, emotions, our bodies, habits, our spending patterns, sex, vocation, whatever it is, it is all connected. When we live with, compartment, with compartments in our lives, we actually stop the flowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everything is interconnected. In the Western secular system that we're, is all around us and that we are immersed in, is about pursuing progress without presence. We want progress, but we want nothing to do with God's presence in culture. And it's yielding, the thing is, it's yielding all sorts of faulty and tragic results. You want to look at why culture is so messed up? You want to look at why things seem to be going so off the rails? Why there's so much desperation in the lives of people? Because it is about wanting progress and not wanting the presence of God. If you want wholeness and you want healing, it is all wrapped up in pursuing the presence of God. That's, what, that's the biggest thing that Canada needs. Canada doesn't need a political change. Canada doesn't need a particular party in power. Canada doesn't need a certain law changes. Canada needs the pursuit of God's presence. When Canada begins to pursue God's presence, that is when Canada will, un will experience healing and not experience brokenness. Because true freedom flows from the input of God's presence in our lives and brings clarity amidst all sorts of cultural confusion. If you feel like culture is confused, it is. You want clarity? It's the input of God's presence into your life. So I want to I conclude this morning 
by giving us three focuses that we can pursue in order to follow the way of Jesus. Just want to quickly give these to you and, and really leave them with you to ponder yourself this week in prayer and putting them before the Lord. Three focuses that we can pursue in order to follow the way of Jesus. Have him as our foundation and be growing in him. First is that we are pursuing to pursue the wholeness of Jesus. It's in Jesus that we're being made whole. There, there is no division found in Jesus. Pursuing more of his wholeness will result of more of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in us. Secondly, it's about pursuing the cross of Jesus. Paul challenges the Corinthians. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on his sacrifice. It's the cross that removed the barrier to God's presence. We, in one aspect, we never ever move on from the cross because it's at the cross that we find redemption. It's at the cross that we find healing. It's at the cross that we find the incoming of God's presence back. Thirdly, it's about pursuing the lordship of Jesus. Paul, he makes the distinct point to remind the Corinthians. He says, you were baptized into Jesus. You weren't baptized into me. The reason he does that is because baptism is about signing our lives over to Jesus. Baptism is about coming under someone else's authority. And so the question is, is your life in the hands, sorry, under the authority of Jesus, or is it in your own hands? And as we pursue all three of these things through relationship with Jesus, inviting him into our lives, following his way revealed in Scripture, the Bible tells us that when we do this, we are forgiven. We're invited into an ongoing relationship with Jesus. It's an invitation. Come into the way of Jesus. Have relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want to talk more about this with me, I would, I'm happy to talk more. I'm happy to pray with you. Whatever, whatever you feel the Holy Spirit is tugging at you this morning, we can pray about that. All right, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you have shown us the way. Jesus, that you came and that you laid down your life and you showed us the way to the Father and you showed us the way to wholeness and to healing. And Jesus, we thank you that you have shown us a way that we can reject the spirit of individualism and we can, instead we can accept you. Jesus, I pray that as we go from here today, Lord, would you help us to follow your way? Jesus, we thank you that you love your church so much, that you are so committed to your church. Thank you, God, that you have always and will always protect your church because you are so committed to your bride. We thank you that you're faithful to that. Jesus, we give you praise and honor and glory this morning.